seeing Russell Wilson in a different jersey is going to be hard. Hard for me, honestly. I'm not a big fan of the orange. <laughs> he doesn't He doesn't work the orange. Let's it be real. Work. It, doesn't it doesn't work. It works on very few people. Um, but it's so funny, Carly. I don't know if you saw this. The Seahawks tweeted out something that was almost like mocking the move and kind of like a joke. Like it was like a meme. Really? Uh, and then they deleted it like 20 minutes later but Weird. fans have seen it and everyone's oh like gosh. why are you mocking this this crazy like hall of fame talent um so pretty wild but obviously if you're a seahawks fan you got to be upset a lot of giants mm-hmm. fans, you know we're hoping for good news on our side okay <laughs> but it was it's crazy i mean where do you think like do you, okay which side do you think won i think um seattle won mm-hmm. i so, I immediately said Denver gave up too much. Russell Wilson is an incredible quarterback, but Denver gave up a boatload of things. So if it doesn't work out for them, they've really screwed themselves. Yeah. I don't know if what they're trying to do is like recreate like the Peyton Manning saga where they're like, okay, we're going to bring in a star and hope he brings us another Super Bowl. (laughs) it's crazy and like i don't know i always think about like i wonder how he feels about it and like his family like, i wonder if he's excited well, he, about- he had to he, it was on his terms so when the it was originally agreed to it said this is going to happen if pending a physical and russell wilson's approval but i wonder like do you just think he was done like he wasn't succeeding there he figured it was time for he's been unhappy for a while i think the biggest thing is that they weren't protecting him in terms of like the offensive line and they weren't really investing in that talent wise and i think he was just getting fed up also i i thought maybe like pete carroll was going to move on after this year or they were going to move on from him Mm -hmm. because it just seems like they needed a change in some way I agree, and like I also saw um, that the reported this and various sources saying that mm-hmm. Russell felt like the team's like personal misses and like devotion to Pete Carroll's like old school offensive philosophy were, yeah. like, him back and like not doing good for him. So it's like I understand. Yeah. So in terms of what Denver gave, gave up, which I think is too much, um, they gave up quarterback Drew Locke who was potentially supposed to be their starter at one point, but didn't really pan out for them. So I'm curious if Pete Carroll thinks that he could get what Denver hoped they'd get out of Drew Locke. They gave up tight end Noah Fant, who was a very talented receiving tight end, which I was surprised about because in my mind, Noah Fant makes Denver more attractive because he's a weapon for Russell Wilson, but instead he was traded away. Um, I would say probably like one of the biggest weapons for Ross now in Denver is Jerry Judy is um, Jerry Judy, um, who's a wide receiver. He came out of Alabama, so um, that'll be interesting. And then there was a third player that was traded away, um, a D lineman. And then there's even more two first rounders, two, yeah, two second rounders, and a fifth rounder. Wow. So you give up three players and two first-round picks and two second-round picks. Like, those are big – two first-rounders and two second-rounders are big money picks. That's crazy. And, like, I, I don't know. I saw – do you think, like, they'd have any chance of getting Von Miller back? No. Because Von Miller had posted a photo with Russell 
on Instagram and it was like very mysterious and weird. He was kind of like, what's next? And like some people were saying that with the defense they had, they were trying to like almost like win him back. Mm. I'm just like curious how what what's going on in Vaughn's head and if he'd ever want to like play with Russell. I don't know. I don't think he'd go back. I think like he was shocked when Denver decided to trade him and mm-hmm. it was like, oh, like I've done everything for the city and now you're just trading me away. Like I think there was like a little bit of like a yeah. Like, I think he was even surprised that was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Obviously, anything is possible, but I don't really see that. I was a little yeah. strange. Like, I was trying to think, like, oh, like, what kind of team does Denver really have? And, like, there's a few, like, guys that they have here and there. But I don't, I don't really see them as crazy good contenders, right. you know, that are just missing one piece. Um. Mm. We, we'll see. It is interesting. Their new head coach is Nathaniel Hackett, who was with the Packers on the offensive side. And I think that's why there was talks of maybe Aaron Rodgers going there at some point. But they do have a new coaching system and a new coaching staff. So that's going to be interesting to see how everything works with the new Russell Wilson piece. Yeah, I'm excited. Like you said, a lot of fans are comparing it to the Manning era. So I'm excited to see what happens. Definitely. And I think it's weird. Like, I was seeing that. I think yesterday or like a couple of days ago, Peyton Manning retired like six years from that date. Yeah. So it's like kind of weird that like, oh my now God, Ross is getting traded. It was, I think it was like the same day. That's crazy. Yeah. A little weird. Um, there's also been some other quarterback news. Aaron Rodgers was, you know, being attention seeking again and <laughs> thinking, telling all of us, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Well, uh, the Packers ink Aaron Rodgers to a four-year, $200 million deal, making him the highest-paid player. I'm not surprised. He had me out here <laughs> thinking he was done with them. He really loves attention. He just loves attention. <laughs> it is. I really think that's what it is. He likes to stir the pot, get everyone talking, and then just go sign his contract. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, and I was actually surprised how long-term of a deal this was. Yeah, I know. He's, like, really committed. Like, he – but, he, I don't know. He made it seem like he – and there's talks of, like, retiring. Like, the whole thing is just, like, crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Right, but. and then they tagged Devontae Adams. So, Adams is for sure going to be playing with him for another year. So, they're keeping the pair together. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And then, real quick, I forgot to mention with Seattle, just another, like, interesting thing. They um, released future Hall of Famer linebacker Bobby Wagner, which – I was surprised about he's he's gonna go somewhere I mean he is a vet and he is getting up there in age but he's so so talented and he can definitely like there's like a young linebacker room somewhere in the league he would be an incredible asset to it in addition to that so just you know another another uh like interesting tidbit but he needs a scout like you on his side a good advocate yeah right (laughs) maybe i should be an agent yeah exactly and lastly carson wentz is going to the washington commanders they um have traded quite a bit for him as well so he is upgrading heineke which i do think is an upgrade because i think heineke was just like a temporary solution and never the long term but there are injury concerns with carson wentz as he has had some injuries that have caused him to miss games over the course of his career. And we will see how that continues. Of course, not, I don't want to wish anything on him, but it's, 
quarterbacks who wear a Washington jersey don't have the best luck when it comes to injuries. So. <laughs> but just interesting. I'm sure there's going to be like a lot, you know, more news coming out with certain guys, um, and it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. We also have the combine to talk about. So the combine finished up this past week. This, for those who don't know, the combine, the NFL combine, and all professional sports have combines. Basically, it's like a test of your your skills. They for the NFL, they don't put on pads. Um, it's more of testing in terms of running the forty and your vert and. Um, doing cone drills and things like that so it's time for the players to either increase their draft stock maybe sometimes their draft stock falls or you know prove that they're correctly where they should be going in the draft so just want to highlight a few guys that have were already being talked about and you know had good combines Amard Gardner, he is the Cincy star corner that everyone has been talking about. Oh, my God. Uh, I love this guy. Yeah. Supposedly, he never allowed a touchdown. He didn't. And, and you know, it's hilarious. <laughs> Someone at the scouting combine asked him how he'd react after he's getting beaten for a touchdown yeah. in the NFL. He said, I don't have plans on giving one up in the NFL. Well, that'll change. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he, sorry. He, but love the confidence. He has crazy confidence and, like, just, like, a natural swag. Like, the, the kid's amazing. His, people call him Sauce. Yeah, I saw that. He got Ahmad Sauce Gardner. <laughs> That's so cool. Go off. Yeah. <laughs> Go off. Yeah, I like that. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is Jordan Davis. He's a D lineman out of Georgia. He is, like, a huge specimen Oh my god. He he tested so well for his size. Yeah. Extremely impressive. And that like really speaks to the type of athlete he is. And we know like Georgia had uh, like an incredibly good defense this year, and he's just like one of the you know pieces of that great defense that led them to a national championship. I mean, I'm excited for this one. Yeah, yeah. And then this guy is like winning over all our hearts. So Sarah, I don't know if you saw this video, but quarterback Malik Willis out of Liberty, there was this video that went viral of him, you know, like giving all this stuff to a homeless w- woman. Mm-hmm. He, he saw this homeless woman on the street in Indy during the combine and like just started like giving her, her like all the t-shirts that he had gotten from Nike, like for free. And it's just like, oh my gosh, like this kid is so nice and like that's that was, amazing. Yeah, and it really speaks to his character. Um, so those are two things that like Malik will there are two things that Malik Willis really brings to the table. His athleticism being one of them, which has been talked about, and his character, which like clearly came through everyone saw in that video. I was gonna say, I know like metrics wise, like he has incredible speed, mm-hmm. um, agility, like he kind of has it all. Yeah, he He's not going to be starting right out the gate. He's definitely a kid that you develop for a year or two, but he he has the the athleticism. Mm-hmm. He has the intangibles as well, and I think he's a really exciting prospect. And you know, you don't usually hear of guys coming out of Liberty, you know, being talked about this much. So yeah. it's always interesting when these small school prospects come up. Yeah. 
Next, also another quarterback I want to touch on, Kenny Pickett. Um, you know he's from New Jersey? Who, Kenny Pickett? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Ocean Township, New Jersey. Oh, shout out Jersey. I know. That's why We're I always shouting that. out Jersey. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I love it. You got to love it. Right. Um, he went to Pitt and hit what made him really stand out is his improvement from his third season to his final season. He really, really made a jump. This, though, so this is actually funny. And people may remember this um, from Burroughs Combine. Hand size is like a huge thing when it comes to quarterbacks. I don't know why they make such a big deal out of hand size. And I was going to say, I was going to talk about this. Right. Like you, you recall that like they were always all talking about Joe Burrow's hands are small. And he like made that joke that was like, oh, guess I have to retire. He, this guy. Yeah. Everyone talks about how he wears gloves because of his quote, insanely small hands. Yeah. So his hand measures eight and a half inches, which is smaller than any QB currently in the NFL. And the thing is, I don't get why they make such a big deal of it. Cause it's not, it's like, they're saying, oh, this guy has not held a football for his whole life. But Carly, like because the NFL ball size is bigger than it is in college, like do you anticipate it being a problem? I don't think it's that. So when I like hold a college ball versus an NFL ball, I actually right. prefer an NFL ball, and I have wow. really small hands because to me, oh, I know you the do. Col- yeah, I'm mean, a small person. I, <laughs> I hope like it would be really weird. It would. <laughs> um, I think the college ball is like like rounder mm-hmm. and the nfl ball like is just like a little more slimmer and that's why i prefer it like in terms of like the shape right which is why i prefer it. like the, the college ball seems like stouter but like rounder that this makes is such sense an interesting analysis of the ball but i've actually talked about how i prefer throwing an nfl ball versus a college ball well then maybe there's hope for him there is i think so and he's known for which i love he is known for the fake slide which he pulled in uh, one of the games this year and i was listening to an interview um with him and they asked if he was gonna use the fake slide on the pro level and he said no probably not like that was a (laughs) one-time thing (laughs) that's so funny yeah um carly you know who we gotta get to talk about this Mm-hmm. Um, our former guest um, and former Buccaneer Carmen, because she's now at the Draft Network. Yes. Um, so we got it. You know, we got to have her on with the draft because I'd be curious to hear her perspective on some of these guys. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Yeah, that would be awesome to chat with her. Yeah. When you know, because draft season, it's it's a coming. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's get into the pass rushers. The pass rushers, obviously, a very important position, and they've become even more important in the past few years, and they are often taken very high in the draft. Aiden Hutchinson is out of Michigan. He's been a name that's been thrown around to go pretty high, as well as Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon. I will say, and I was listening to um, – a podcast, mm-hmm. another podcast, not to, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> not to say don't listen to ours, but I listened to this podcast called Move the Sticks and they're former, um, you know, NFL scouts and they give a really cool perspective and they interview a lot of guys. So they were talking about how he, uh, how Thibodeau really needs to continue to work and develop his craft and his mm-hmm. skills and that athleticism isn't everything. And they touched on how, 
he is almost, it's like similar to the Jadavian Clowney thing coming out. Jadavian Clowney was like a freak. Athleticism was his everything. And he has become a disappointment in this league. He's still like a very good player, but he's not anything what everyone thought he would be because he didn't work to improve his craft. Wow. And I watched, um, I watched Clowney when he played for the Titans. Um, and he was the most frustrating player I have ever watched because you've ever watched. I'm serious because you want him to be incredible because of his frame and his right athleticism and all his, what he, his natural abilities, but he, he's good against the run. But when it comes to the pass rush, he does not get to the quarterback he does not accumulate sacks and everyone's expecting him to, you know, to be one of those guys, but he, he's almost lazy on tape. Like he'll do one move and then he'll give up. The thing about edge rushers in the NFL is you need to be relentless. Like, I think that is like a key thing. Right. And if you don't have that trait, you're, you're probably not going to, be getting home to the quarterback as much as you should. This kind of reminds me of like a conversation we were having about the NBA and some of the younger guys mm-hmm. in terms of like when we talked to Rob Fisher, who's the Grizzly Sun reporter, he talked about like John Morant's like natural born skill and athleticism, but then also how he like religiously like watches film study. Yeah. But sometimes like if you don't do all those things, like it doesn't really matter. That's what makes you a pro. Exactly. You can get by in college being, you know, more athletic than everyone else. Right. Once you get to the pros, it's more of an even playing field and there are certain things that set you apart. And, like, you know, you mentioned Carly, like, Aiden Hutchinson before. And, like, something that I read a few days about him was that he he said he regrets eating pizza while training for the combine. I saw that! And, and now follows Tom Brady's diet. But, again, these are just things that, like, so they're learning and they have regrets. And it's, like, but I think they're realizing, like, you got to step it up. Yeah, I was listening to an interview with Ohio State wide receiver Chris Olave. And he was like, I ate terribly in college. He said, I have to change that. Meanwhile, he was like one of their leading receivers. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't know it by the way he played for sure. Exactly. Last but not least, we got to talk top tackle in the draft. Evan Neal out of Alabama. This kid, it's very possible he could go first overall. So the Jaguars have the first pick in the draft. We know they don't need a quarterback. They have Trevor Lawrence, but they're probably going to want a guy to protect him. So look for the possibility of this guy, Evan Neal, at tackle being taken first. You know, perfect transition, Carly, because you just mentioned the Jaguars. Mm-hmm. And we have an amazing guest today, um, someone I knew and looked up to in my time at Proskauer. We're going to be talking to Mega Parake, Senior Vice President and Chief Legal Officer for the Jaguars. <laughs> We're here with Mega Parikh, Senior Vice President and Chief Legal Officer for the Jaguars. Mega, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Of course. Thank you so much for the opportunity and for having me here. Yes. I remember when I first uh, met you at Proskauer, I never knew I'd be having this podcast. And when we started, I'm like, I know the perfect person, someone I admired while I was there and obviously still do. So it means a lot that you're taking the time for us. 
No, of course. I appreciate the the opportunity and looking forward to talking to you guys for the next little bit here. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So to start off, can you just tell us a little bit about your day-to-day? Sure. So the best part about my day-to-day job is that it is absolutely unpredictable and you never know what will come up. Um, so when I first came down to Jacksonville, I came down to be the lawyer for the football team and thought that that's what I would be doing. Within the first week or so, I got HR and IT. And then within six months, the family bought Fulham Football Club. The next year we renovated the stadium and put in the world's largest outdoor video boards. 2017, we opened up Daly's Place, which is an amphitheater that is actually attached to the stadium. And I was able to oversee um, project management of that construction. And then just about a year and a half after that opened, the family started a pro wrestling company called All Elite Wrestling. Um, And then in addition to that, we are currently building a new practice facility just northwest of the stadium and then working with the city on building a four seasons hotel an office building and a marina on the riverfront so it is everything from football to um wrestling to real estate development which means that in any given day there's such cognitive dissonance at times because i'll get things like hey can you work on this you know term sheet as it relates to the four seasons hotel to hey, one of our wrestlers wants to bring an ax into the ring. What do we need to worry about um, as it relates to that? So there's there's no shortage when it comes to variety of work. That's so funny. See, at Proscow, I know that our, our hospitality group is big and obviously you were in the sports group. Did you do any real estate work there? Um, a little bit in that I worked on some REITs. So when I graduated, it was an interesting time because it was the fall of 2009. And so very fortunately, Proscow did start me on time. But for the first 18 months, those of us in the corporate group really did work on whatever deals were available. And so at the time, it was a little bit challenging just because you were jumping from topic to topic and, or, you know, matter to matter. And I did everything from private M&A to public M&A to cross-border M&A to REITs to tender offers. In hindsight, that was a really incredible experience because now there's, at least for the most part, there's something that either I've seen or know when... Like I, there's something I need to ask more questions about. So I did work on some real estate matters um, where there were real estate, you know, issues that came up as part of acquisitions. And so at least I have, I'm not an expert in anything at the end of the day, but at least I know when to ask questions of the things I don't know about and that there's certain, you know, issues to be aware of. So I'm basically taking like one giant law school exam every single day. Of, I may not know exactly what the answer is, but I do know that this is, this is an issue that needs to be spotted. Yeah. That's awesome. You know, for those of you listening who don't have contacts, you know, Proskauer is known as the sports law firm. And I think a lot of young associates come in there and think like, I'm going to go to Proskauer and do sports law. And we both know mega that unfortunately there's only, you know, a certain amount of people who do it. And unfortunately some people end up in like tax or MA. you know, you were one of the people who did work on obviously those huge acquisitions. And when you were there, you worked on the acquisition of the Jaguars for the owner. Um, what was that like? And how did that kind of lead to your current role? Sure. So the deal itself actually, um, you know, it was a, it was a long negotiation over the course of a period of time where we weren't sure that the deal was going to proceed or not. So it was sort of starting and stopping. Um, but during that time, you know, I had the opportunity to not only work on that, but also develop my skills in other areas. So by the time that this deal closed in January of 2012, it was more of like a mid-level associate on it, but had sort of grown watching it um, over the years in terms of starting and stopping. It was really interesting. So when I came down for the job about a year later, what was interesting was I had worked on the diligence of the football team. And so I had this sort of law firm perspective of, okay, as an acquirer, what are you looking for in terms of due diligence and whatnot? And then when it came in house, I had 
some knowledge, but obviously when you're in house, it's also much different in terms of getting in and seeing what things are actually like. So I had sort of a head start in the sense that I'd worked on the acquisition, was familiar with the diligence when I started the job, but of course being fully immersed in it is completely different. Um, but it was a really, I never you know thought that I would move to Jacksonville when they offered me the position. I thought I would come down, really enjoy the job professionally and then tolerate the town. But I, I've loved living here and I'm now at nine years that I've been here. <clears throat> That's awesome. You know, during your time working on that at Proskauer, did Shad specifically kind of like talk to you the most? Like did you develop like a relationship with him at Proskauer? Like how did that like close development start? So the current team president at the Jaguars was actually also a client at the time. And that was with the New Meadowlands Stadium Company. Um, and so Proskauer had done the, like helped with the construction of the stadium and then also their naming rights and um, their cornerstone sponsorship deals. And so it was interesting because, you know, Mr. Khan actually through Proskauer and through the PR firm that actually we were all work with uh, Fleischman Hillard had met Mark Lamping. When Mark came down, he brought a few other folks with him from the stadium company. And, you know, as much as we were working with the family, I was also familiar with some of the executive team that came down to the Jags. And so that was really helpful because two clients had actually sort of merged together, come to Jacksonville, and I was able to come work with them both. In terms of where you're at with the Jaguars now, how has your relationship grown with ownership and, you know, what does that look like in terms of what you do for the team? Sure. I would say that, you know, the greatest compliment that you can get as a lawyer is people actually coming to you and trusting you and looking for your advice. Um, and so I'm always really grateful when people ask for my perspective or opinion on things, because I know that they're not just looking at it's sort of one thing if they're like, hey, what does the law say about this? I feel like you reach a different level of trust in terms of like people trusting your own judgment and wanting to collaborate with you when it comes to making important decisions and asking what your perspective is. And I can't think of a greater sign of sort of like respect and trust from, from a boss than, than that being the case, where if something is in a crisis situation or if there's a really challenging issue that comes up, the fact that people come and ask for my help and also opinion is really, um, it's a really humbling thing because I know that I'm around some very, very intelligent people and I enjoy that and I enjoy the challenge of it. Um, but I also know that in a good way, we've tried to create a team where people, there's there's an intentional sort of diversity of thought. So not just diversity sort of demographically, but hey, can we assemble a group of people that really do think differently from one another so that when we have to make business decisions, we're soliciting a variety of perspectives I think that that leads to better business outcomes. Like I don't need everybody to agree with me 100% of the time. And in fact, I wouldn't want to work in that type of an environment because then you stop learning. Like if everyone thinks like you, then it's like, okay, well, great. Like I, I always think that I'm right. That's not necessarily particularly helpful in terms of growth, but I really like being able to work with people that have a diversity of thought. Um, and then, you know, if you're able to collaborate together and I like workplaces where you can have like reasoned, thoughtful debates. I think that that leads to better business outcomes because you are challenging one another um, from different perspectives. And I think that it's always easy to fall in love with their own ideas. It's really great to be able to work with people that can help you challenge and refine them. Yeah, I would agree with that. And everything is obviously different from team to team. You know, as football fans, you know, me and Carly have only seen leadership on a TV screen. And we saw, you know, the episode that you're on of earning it. And we saw Shad make that comment about going into like, what is, would you say he's like off camera and how are the Jaguars specifically like fostering good hiring practices? What are they doing to get to that diversity of thought to hire the right people? 
Sure. I, look, I would say that off camera, he's sort of the same as he is on camera as he is, you know, with anybody that he's ever met. So one of the things that's always been fascinating to me is like, you know, powerful people have the ability to treat people sort of however they want for the most part. Um, he's one of the kindest, most thoughtful people that have ever been around. And it's just a nice, considerate human being, in addition to being a self-made, very successful billionaire and a shrewd businessman. Um, and that's a nice thing to do. The other thing that's very nice is like they want to grow, but they also want to grow ethically. So Mr. Khan was one of the proponents of the human rights ordinance here in Jacksonville. And, you know, that's a that can be a risky business endeavor at times if we're going to support something like that. But he wanted to do it. And that that to me was a really powerful statement about his character, um, specifically in terms of hiring practices. So our HR team is fantastic and always on the lookout for what can we do to make the systems and processes that we have in work supplement our employees so that they're able to do their best jobs at work. So one of the first things that we did when I came down was we actually made sure we reviewed our parental leave policies. We made maternity and paternity leave equal. Now, the policy being equal is really important to us because it's like, look, if we want women, whether it's at our company or at any other company, to have a fair shot at continuing to be able to work and have like to be able to take advantage of leave but then stay in the workforce, then I think it's equally important that if they have partners, they're able to take a similar amount of leave. So that between both parents, you can actually share the workload. Because even if people have the best of intentions to do that, if just in the case of you know most couples, if the father doesn't get leave or isn't encouraged to take leave, then that still leaves them in a really challenging position. So that was one of the first things that we did. Um, in terms of hiring, we've tried to adopt best practices that really, as it relates to banning the box doing more like blind um, resume review, right? So you actually strip out the names. And one of the most basic things that we really, really fought for was even just anytime a position opens up, understandably, most managers are like, we must fill this role right now or else we'll never make it. And we're really trying to encourage people to slow down a little bit, post every position, because even if you have somebody in mind, worst case, you post it and you get a bunch of applicants that aren't you know, qualified and that's okay best case, you find somebody who really challenges what you were thinking in terms of the role, and you're able to at least go through a process and ensure that you get the best candidate possible. That's really great, the, you know, those programs that the Jaguars are working on. I think, like, it's, it's just so important from working with the Buccaneers. I was a product of, you know, promoting diversity, so I think it's, like, a really incredible thing. Um, Switching a bit to kind of the football side of things and how that relates to what you guys do. So you've been through some coaching changes recently. Doug Peterson is going to come in as the new head coach. How will that alter the culture of the organization? Yeah, so Coach Peterson and his staff have already been really well received. Um, and look, it's been a challenging couple of years from a football perspective here, certainly. I think so far what people have really liked and the things that they've heard is that coaches sort of similarly to what I just described Mr. Khan as in terms of being egalitarian in terms of how he approaches people. And this is so silly, but it reminds me a little bit of that concept from the Disney movie Ratatouille where it's like, hey, not everyone's a great cook, but a great cook can come from anywhere. And that seems to be sort of the approach that they both take, which is like, hey, look, I don't expect that everyone's gonna have a great idea all the time, but I'm willing to engage with everybody make them feel like they're a part of the team, make them feel valued. Um, you know, coach actually encouraged us to bump up our employee appreciation day and had everybody on the field, on the stadium field, playing around before we ripped it up for the off season to resod. And so it's those sorts of things that 
really bring out and make employees want to spend their discretionary effort because they feel extra appreciated and valued. I've had um, some personal interactions with Coach Peterson as well. And like, I can't say enough good things about him. I'm actually like reading his book, Fearless, right now. And it just really speaks to the type of coach he is and the type of like leader he will be for an organization. So I'm excited um, as someone who like has rooted for him in the past to see what he's going to do with you guys. Yeah, it's interesting that like someone just being a good person and a good leader and a thoughtful leader that really engages and motivates people, you know, we sort of take them for granted, but those are really incredible qualities. And they're in fact more rare than I think people give them credit for. Um, But it takes a lot of work to be like a calm, inclusive, thoughtful leader. And he seems like he's all of those things. Mega side note, I have to ask, I heard barking in the background. Do you have a dog? I'm assuming, I hope so. Cause otherwise what is that noise? And <laughs> she's getting her dog. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. We this need the camp. details. Name. We went to daycare all day and somehow still has this amount of energy oh to you. Like so he just cute. knows when to bark at the exact wrong time. <laughs> like that's his superpower. He's so cute. Oh he will God. be quiet all day up until something like this is going on. Like now, now is the time. That I- <laughs> now, do you bring him to games? I feel like he deserves that. So he's now six months old. Oh, okay. His very first week that I had him, he drove to Tampa to go to uh, a wrestling event. He's been okay. to the stadium a few times. Um, he has been to AW. He's been to a Hoobastank concert, interestingly enough. Um, and a Jacksonville Iceman game. So yes, I think that Champa's living probably a more exciting life than than even I am at times. Uh, but yes, he's he's been around and he's he's very good. But now he's old enough to go to daycare. So that's good. <laughs> it was though to what you were just talking about regarding working parents. Like I got a puppy and up until like the first like month until I could put him in daycare, it was challenging. And like, that's a puppy. Like it just gave me a whole more, like I always tried to be sensitive to the challenges that working parents have, but even just having a dog, it was like, my goodness, like, do we make things difficult for people to have anything going on outside of their lives that's not work at times just by the, the way that we've set up, you know, support systems and structures or the lack thereof. Yeah, yeah I think that they call it like dog mom for a reason because I have a dog too and it's, it's a lot of work. It's justified. Um, you know, I don't know, Megan, if you did any like specific negotiations. I'm sure that involved like something at Proscar, but everyone's talking about the MLB right now. Obviously, they're stuck in this stalemate. They're canceling games. In your experience, you know, what do you think this means for baseball? What do you think, you know, is the next step they have to do to kind of come to a reasonable agreement? Look, I think that, you know, one of the reasons why the NFL has been so successful over the last 20 years is the um, labor piece that they've had. And it's helped preserve the value of the franchises. It's helped us just even in terms of like offseason planning and making sure that like you're able to get to the off to a good start the next season. Um MLB had a really great season last year. That home render, so I'm a huge baseball fan. That home render that they had was one of the best that I thought I've ever watched, probably since 2008 when Josh Hamilton um, had a killer round. And it's just the disappointing part to me is that, you know, sometimes when it's a good example in terms of like, if you have people that are interested in positional bargaining versus principal bargaining, you just almost always end up at an impasse until the very last minute because that's how the incentives are set up. And it's a good lesson just in sort of, um, you know, leadership too, and trying to bring your stakeholders to the table and really distill what's important versus ending up in a position where you're just trying to sort of jockey for a piece of an existing pie as opposed to really thinking about what's important to each side. What do they really need? And what are their creative solutions that we can have? 
Um, you know, I understand obviously why each side is taking the position that they are. I just, you hope that at some point for the fact that there was so much momentum last year, they're able to come together and figure it out so that they can build upon that. And they have a lot of great, young, talented stars. They really do. So I think it's an, it's an exciting time for baseball and hopefully they're able to resolve this and come to labor peace, but understand that it's also very complicated. Who's your team? Maggie? You said you're a big baseball fan. I grew up loving the Yankees. I grew up in Jersey. Oh, okay. And okay. I'm a Yankees fan too. Carly's a Mets fan. So yeah. yeah. Just when curious. I was a child, I legitimately thought that like every Super Bowl was just a thing that the Cowboys won. Like every World Series was just a thing that the Yankees won. And then I got a little bit older. I was like, oh no, that's not how that's supposed to work. Like, oh, it's basketball. The Bulls will win this year. Like that's just seemed like it was that's not that so old. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but about, you know, what you were saying, I, it is really like, unfortunate. it is in the best interest of baseball for them to figure this out. And I, I was saying last week, you know, if there are more women in the room. This might be figured out by now, but, <laughs> um, I, I would say this, that, you know, the, when the COVID hit, obviously just about two years ago and things were very uncertain at the NFL. Um, and I'm not saying this is necessarily gender oriented one way or the other, but the two people at the league who really led us through some of the most challenging times that was related to uncertainty and COVID protocols were two women at the management council, um, Megan Carroll and Molly Delaney. And, you know, I, they probably will never get like the recognition that they deserve for all that they did, but they were very thoughtful, very matter of fact. And honestly, during an uncertain time, I think that the, the leadership skills that they brought and the diplomacy that they brought. So, cause COVID protocols just were like, not only was it an uncertain time for everybody, but the protocols were truly like, they were challenging to comply with. There was a lot of work to be done and they really did a tremendous job at helping ensure that we had a season for 2020 with as little unrest and um, infighting as possible. I appreciate you touching on that for sure because I didn't even know that. And like, it was why I went to work every day because they figured it out. So thank yeah. you for touching on that. But um we do want to discuss kind of the international piece of the NFL right now. And I know the Jaguars are heavily involved in that international piece. So they have established a presence in London, having played multiple games there over the last several seasons. What does this mean for the organization? And what does this growing international presence mean for the league in general? Sure. So the league is expanding now outside of the UK and even looking at other markets, including, you know, they've played some games in Mexico. They're also looking at um, Germany and some other places. So I think that it is good for the health of the league itself to expand globally. American football is not an export that is intuitive to people. And so I also think that it's going to take just a good bit of education. And we've even seen it from when we started playing in 2013 to now in terms of the education of the fan base and their understanding of the game. That's definitely evolved. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, people don't understand the relationship between London and Jacksonville, but because we were able to move a home game there and because of the size of Wembley and that it was a constant sellout, that game in and of itself not only helped generate exposure for the Jaguars internationally, it was also really profitable in terms of ticket sales. Um, and then one of our missions, in addition to just, you know, it being a good opportunity for exposure and revenue for us, it was also an opportunity to help the league um, grow awareness of football in the UK. So we've run um, youth football camps throughout the UK. We have a couple of different academies. Um, we have scholarship programs for people that are interested in American football. And so in addition to just the one game, we're also trying to help build an affiliation to just American football 
um, over in the UK. And you know, we're hopeful that we're, we're part of helping the league expand that mission. Sure, and I think that's the key because you know they're raised with soccer there, and you need to kind of create this affinity and like the youth football element is so important because that's where you get fans from a young age. Right, and it's just it's not look there's it's not an intuitive game, all right? It's it's not as the, it's not the same as watching people. There's obviously a different level once you understand soccer in terms of like observing plays or whatever, but watching the start and stop of American football isn't obvious unless someone explains to you what you're really looking for. Yeah, it's so true. It makes me think about the fact that like Carly, you know, what she wants to do in her future is she wants to build football around the youth. Like she wants to do that for a living. So I know Carly, it's something you're really passionate about. So it's cool to see that the Jaguars are investing so much in that. Um, but you know, Meg, it's funny going to your, your personality. Obviously we've never really got a chance to talk like this before I knew about you, knew of you. And when someone looks at your background and they see your title and they see, okay, 40 under 40 sports business journal, I'm expecting you to come into this with a blazer on like very serious, you know, you're wearing a t-shirt, want to hear about that, but you know, you're a musician, a crisis counselor, family oriented, like what do you enjoy doing in your free time? Cause I feel like in a lot of professional interviews, maybe people only focus on, you know, your career. Yes. Yeah, so I will fully admit that I was not planning to wear this to this podcast today. However, my day did go a little bit sideways. <laughs> I love it though. It's so does, like, you know, part of me is just sort of like, I, especially this last two years, it's like, you can have me and you can have me well-dressed or you can have me work an extra hour that day. And it's like, at this point, like just because of the time pressures of what we were all going through and how fluid work hours became and needing to respond to people's questions or positive test results or exposure at any time of day, I did sort of just have to give myself a little bit of grace of like some days I get up and I mean to get dressed and go in and I can't. And like the best that I can do is show up at like 11 a.m. and workout clothes because I've been on calls all morning. And it's like, I'm sorry, guys, like I'm doing my best, but it's like, you know, I'm doing my job and I'm getting the work done and that's what matters. And then obviously if, if it's important that I dress a particular way to show respect to professionalism, I, I will do that. But I've sort of shaken off the, I need to pretend like somehow like I have it all together all the time because I absolutely do not. Um, but I did cut the sleeves off of this t-shirt today, which is a separate point where like my weird COVID hobby was turning all of my t-shirts into crap tops. And then we all went back what? to work. Like, oh, I, I like really that. <laughs> did not think this through at all. Um, but no, look, I think that part of it too, is just, it, it's a function of, as you get a little bit more senior in your career, you're able to hopefully have built up a reputation where people trust you and then don't need to judge you based on the proxy of what it is that you're wearing to determine if you're professional, but hopefully judge you on the quality of of your work. Um, but I also believe in like letting people be who they are. So when I remember when I first started and like went to Brooks Brothers to go get my first outfit or Ann Taylor or whatever, I remember going into the office and being like, I just I just I'm wearing my big sister's clothes. Like I'm just a small framed person. I'm like, these aren't the clothes that are comfortable to me. They're not the clothes that I like grew up in. Like I don't want to wear that. So there's some happy medium between a cutoff concert tee and uh and you know a, a very nice Brooks Brothers dress, which is hopefully where I strike the line in the middle, but I also want everybody to feel like they can come to work with having to totally like wash out their personalities to be this like ideal definition of a professional. Like I remember there was a time when we were told, and like, we, you know, I've been working for 12 years, but that's not that long in a lot of ways. Like I remember there was a time when I was told that like ponytails aren't professional. I was like, what? Like in hindsight, like that's just silliness. Like it's absolutely that's silly. Crazy. Oh my like God. we like somehow like women were encouraged or like that women weren't like, it wasn't that long ago that women were allowed to wear like, pants into court because they had to wear skirts and it's like when you think about all of that it's really amazing that in the name of professionalism there's a lot of um 
sort of watering down of people's personalities that happened and diversity became homogeneity instead of true diversity and inclusion, right? It was diversity, but then everyone trying to fit into the same sort of box of what a professional ought to look like. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do try my best to let my work speak for itself, but you know, in, in the best way, I'm pretty sure that I'm one of the very few humans in the entire world who on a Saturday had to drive into the stadium for a press conference for an NFL head coach. And then immediately from the stadium drove to Orlando for wrestling tapings that afternoon. Like, I don't know how you dress for that day of work. I have no idea like what the professionals guide to that is. And so it's just a matter of, you know, doing my best to make sure that I'm appropriate within reason, but I also don't, I want to be able to you know, the fact that I remember for a football team, I work for a pro wrestling company. Like if I want to wear a wrestling t-shirt to work, that actually should be like supported and allowed just because I'm the lawyer. I don't want to hear that that's not okay. And I feel that way about sort of any professional job where it's like the best part about our jobs. And like part of the reason why I enjoy, or I'm able to work as much as I do is that there's also parts of it that are a lot of fun. There's no reason from my perspective to apologize for that. Um, you get to work with a lot of interesting different people you get to work with everybody from team doctors to equipment managers to video guys right and then the wrestling world is its own beast in terms of you know you just on any given day it's like hey we want to light ourselves on fire hey we want to cut the airbags on this car and having to be or having the opportunity to work with that many different types of people like that's definitely what keeps it interesting and fun and um you know that's the most important thing is being in a position as a lawyer to be able to help other people do their jobs do them well and do them safely you know, you mentioned like a concert shirt, like what, what are you doing in your free time when you're not working or being a dog mom? Um, so I like to think of him as my roommate, first of all, because I feel like some poor tiny, tiny terrier gave birth to him. And I don't want to take away her credit. Um, but no, I do enjoy the dog and the dog in a lot of ways really just helps me. I'm not the best at saying no. And it's helpful to have some one else or something else to have to say no for. So the dog does help with some boundary setting, which is good um, at the office, but now I am very fortunate in that I've always loved the beach and I live on it now. So I get to the beach a lot and it's also one of the best ways and you know, plenty of studies have shown this that just being in nature really helps at stress relief and calming you down and keeping, you know, having you keep perspective. And so I love getting out to the beach as often as I possibly can. Um, I do play guitar and I have insomnia and have since I was a child. And one of the best, you know, things to do before bed, they say, is to have like a consistent nighttime routine. That's difficult when like Sunday night, I didn't get home until 2 a.m. And then last night I went to bed at about 11 p.m. So when your schedule varies that much, it's just difficult to do that, right? But I remember like mapping out all the conventional wisdom of like walk 10,000 steps and like cook whole foods a day and like sleep seven to nine hours, and, like also do your job and um, intense exercise. And I was like, without accounting for any margin for error, if I followed all conventional advice, I would need 27 hours in a day. And like, God forbid, I got lost somewhere along the way, like just like made a wrong turn or had a flat tire. Like there goes all of the things that you're supposed to do. Um, but no, see, I have had the benefit of before COVID hit for a couple of years, I was volunteering with Habitat for Humanity here, building houses, um, which was a lot of fun. I did get trained as a crisis counselor and the counseling um, in return, you volunteer via text um, to counsel others. What I found is that over the last couple of years, so I did give back my 200 hours and I keep on wanting to go back to do it online. And with the uptick in mental health issues over the last couple of years and in a great way, mental health awareness. So I know there's been an uptick in issues, although there probably has been, there's also been greater awareness and empathy for people that are struggling with it. And I think there's been 
in a good way, a march towards understanding that, hey, physical health and mental health are actually not all that different. It's all components of health. Um, but so I did counsel and then I find that I'm using those skills in everyday life all the time, whether it's at work or um, at home. This past year, I just finished a course called the Science of Wellbeing. Um, and then also the year before that, right before COVID hit, got certified as a nutritionist. And so part of it is like, you know, as much as I enjoy work, I also really like enjoy quality of life. I enjoy helping people and I enjoy spending time with my friends and family. So whether that's playing guitar or watching sports or listening to music, um, which I've been known to be, they, my neighbors call me the loud kid in the building because I do like to listen to my music very loud. The loud one. Oh my God, that's so I'm also probably the only adult that I know this is a subwoofer in their car, but I do. Um, but, you know, going back to what you're saying about sort of what people are supposed to be like versus what they actually are, it you sort of forget at some point, like in my head, I'm still like the 16 year old kid driving to the Jersey shore, listening to Bon Jovi too loud. And like somewhere along the way, you forget that you had the opportunity to do all these incredible things professionally. Um, but, you know, you're, if you have the right kind of family, they'll, and friends, they'll tease you just enough to keep you grounded anytime you think that you've, uh, you've become something special. Love the Jersey tribute. That, yeah. That's important. <laughs> I love all that. I, I really appreciate what you're saying about how like it's important to not, you know, be put in this box that like the workforce inside tries to put us in. Um, but we do have one last question for you. So the, we saw that the Jaguars recently posted a video, the video of you from a uh, Peacock's earning it. And a lot of fans on Twitter commented and said mega for GM. How do you feel about that? And what are your future goals in terms of your career? So it's always interesting to me that people have that strong of an opinion um, about something they don't necessarily know that about. And I, I say that with all due respect to the fans because we wouldn't be here without them. But look, Trent, Trent's our GM. I support Trent. I have a great working relationship with him. I appreciate him. And I think sometimes when people become public figures, other people forget that they're human beings with feelings and families and like, you know, kids and other people answer too. So that's always tough for me because it's like, even you can have an opinion about the man's job, but the way that people treated him just felt sort of unfair in terms of the Twitter trolls, which is its whole separate thing. But Hey, look, as long as people are ours, whether it's our coach or our GM or whomever, like I want to be supportive of them and I'm not looking to take anybody else's job. Um, you know, a lot of times people ask like, what's next for you in terms of your career. And I appreciate the question, but what I'll say is that, you know, I wouldn't have been in the shop for the last nine years if I didn't feel like I was constantly learning and growing. And I actually still feel that now. Um, and one of the best things about the job that I have is that there's a whole public side to it, right? In terms of us building the four seasons on the waterfront um, and, you know, the new performance center that we're building and all the things that people actually get to see. And then there's a stuff that nobody ever gets to see where it's like you helped an employee who is in crisis check into rehab and then they came back out and they're doing that much better. And that's the part where it's like, you know what, I hope I never get too busy or distracted so you'll do that kind of stuff. But that that's the stuff that when I think back over the last six, eight, 12 months, two years, what were the most important things that I did? It's stuff that no one will ever find out about, but that I really, really enjoy being a part of and doing. Um, and, you know, it takes, it takes work. So like there's a, a little while ago, I was like thinking, I read something about like how if you have like a consistent morning routine in addition to an evening routine. Um, it really helps set you up for success on the day. I have a hard time working out in the morning. I just do like, I can't 
I'm just a baby about it. Um, but the acronym that I read was SAVERS and it was like, have a few minutes of silence, which I'm a notorious like snoozer for an hour. So I've tried to like limit that back. So at least for like one or two snoozes, I will just try and be like silent and focus on breathing, um, like have an affirmation. And so for me, what I did is I, whenever someone sends me a kind text message, I will screenshot it and save it on my phone. Just as like a night, like that's a nice thing that someone said. And it's like a positive thing to have. I actually printed them all um over like the last few years I could find and I have them now in the morning next to uh next to, like my sink where I'm like getting ready and brushing my teeth and it's just a good reminder of hey look I have helped someone with something before and like I hope that I'm able to do something like that today uh it talks about visualizing a successful day getting some exercise in uh some reading in which might be a podcast while I'm walking the dog um and then scribing just sort of making sure that you have a plan for the day and I have found that do not stick to it every day probably stick to it half the week at best right now because I just started doing it. But I did find that the amount of accomplishment that you feel just by doing that, and that all can be done in like a half an hour or so. Um, it really does help like put me into a much more positive mindset because then when the day goes sideways, it like inevitably does at 11 a.m. or 2 p.m. or whenever. It's like, you know what? At least I was able to control that in the morning. And then similarly before bed, if I'm able to, I really like just having a little bit of time to play guitar, drink some tea and read and um, sort of appreciate what I'm grateful for. I'm taking notes on all your uh, stress management. I've been stressed lately. I'm, I'm taking mental notes. I appreciate it. Um, it it's amazing, Megan, because when you came on today, I didn't know where the conversation would go. We tried to ask great questions, but we've learned a lot, just not about football, but obviously the legal side, your career, how you deal with time management. So we can't thank you enough for, you know, taking the time to talk to us. That was amazing because I've always been inspired by her. But honestly, like I'm it's like a renewal. Like she impresses me every single time. Yeah, I really liked everything she had to say. And I really enjoyed when she was talking about how you how, you know, you don't have to fit into the certain mold of the work that the workforce might put you in. Yeah. And I really liked how she shared her perspective on that. I think that's super important. And I think, like, something really special about her is, like, being such a high-achieving woman and, like, the organization and, like, where she is, she doesn't lose sight of, like, what's important mm-hmm. with, like, her hobbies and her family and, like, other things. Like, she's not one-dimensional. She's not like, okay, I'm in this high-ranking position, so, like, that's my whole life. She has other things in her life. Right, which I think is so important because oftentimes we get lost and think that we need to identify solely with our job. Exactly. And, like you know someone as high ranking as her for her to be like as humble and kind as she is like that's always really like that always touches me a lot definitely really really great interview and i'm so thankful that we got to talk to her yeah me too yeah and you guys know where to find us next one up pod at gmail.com next one up pod on twitter next one up podcast on tiktok and instagram and we will see you guys next week